Bible to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. If you're using one of the Bibles here, it's on page 61 if you need it. And as we continue our way through the Heidelberg Catechism and its exposition of the Ten Commandments, uh, we come uh, this Sunday uh, to the Second Commandment. And you'll find the, that commandment in verses 4 through 6 of Exodus chapter 20. So Exodus chapter 20, beginning at verse 4. The Lord commands his people, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So far from God's holy word. I ask you to please turn with me in the back of the hymnal to the Heidelberg Catechism. To Lord's Day 35. And that's on page 890 if you need it as well. So just a reminder that this part of the catechism is defined as um, our response of gratitude to the salvation that God has won and given to us in Jesus Christ. Right? God's law comes to us not to save us, um, but it comes to us as a rule of gratitude, a way of living in light of the fact that God has been gracious and merciful to us in Christ. And so Lord's Day 35, again, is going to provide an exposition of the second commandment, which we had just read. So uh, question 96, I'll read the question, we'll respond together with the answer. What is God's will for us in the second commandment? That we in no way make any image of God, nor worship him in any other way, than has been commanded in God's word. May we then not make any image at all? God cannot and may not be visibly portrayed in any way. Although creatures may be portrayed, yet God forbids making or having such images in order to worship them or serve God through them. But may not images as books for the unlearned be permitted in churches? No. We should not try to be wiser than God. He wants the Christian community instructed by the living preaching of his word, not by idols that cannot even talk. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we have a few moments to reflect upon the second commandment, I want to look at it in two parts. First, I want us to focus on the verses themselves from Exodus chapter 20. What exactly is this commandment requiring of us, or specifically, what is it forbidding? And then we'll turn to the application of this commandment from uh, the catechism as well. But we'll begin first by considering uh, the commandment itself in Exodus chapter 20. And you notice, um, and if you read it, sometimes there's a little bit of confusion when we reflect upon what exactly this commandment is forbidding God's people uh, to do. But notice again, Exodus chapter 20, verse 4. It says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. 
And so when we look at this commandment, we first need to recognize that two things are being forbidden. The first is the making of graven images, or simply just making of, as it says here, carved images, man-made images, um, things that man has manufactured and, and created and put together. And the reason that the catechism highlights and that throughout the scriptures highlights is that those images that we fashion with our own hands are not living. The things that we make with our hands, the things that we establish and set up as God are not living. And therefore, such images only become a burden for the people of God. Isaiah, if you were to read through the book of Isaiah, often he uh, is... is, um, criticizing and correcting and rebuking the people of Israel because they have established for themselves these images. And he says to them in a very ironic way, it's like, these images, you gathered the material, you exerted yourself, it's you who carries them, and when you need help, they don't answer you. And, and so when, when, the, when God is, is here requiring of his people and forbidding them to make carved images, right? On the one hand, we can see how this is a good thing for his people. Such images have no life, and they cannot give life, and they cannot save, and they cannot redeem. It's the Lord himself who does this. The the psalmist also reminds us that we become what we worship. And if we worship dead and lifeless things, well, we're going to find ourselves dead and lifeless. And so God is forbidding us to go after things that we have manufactured, And he's guarding against this idea that we can establish our gods, that we might control them, that we might have them in our possession, that we might um, ultimately worship them in a kind of self-willed way. And so God, in in the first hand, is forbidding his people and forbidding us and forbidding you from making and carving an image. But he goes on to say, not only are we not to worship and serve the images and the things and the forms that, that we make and fashion... But we are also not to begin to worship and serve the creation around us as well. That's what the the second part of that verse is getting at. Not only are we not to worship and serve um, carved images that we have made, but we're also not to serve and worship anything that is in heaven above, rather other than God himself, that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. And you'll see that these various spheres, right, the heavens above, speaking of the, the stars, the planets, um, the things on the earth or things in the water, right, that's the entirety of creation. God is saying, not only are you not to manufacture your own gods and worship them that become a burden for you and lifeless for you, but you're also not to look at the creation around you and begin uh, to worship it as well. Whether you are looking to the stars and you might say, well, that sounds kind of odd, but how, um, how popular today is astronomy? How popular today people checking their signs? How popular today people thinking that the stars in the sky are going to direct their destiny and, their, and, and explain to them their fate? I mean, it's still around us today. How many people consult medians and psychics and how many things you see around us today? People have not thrown off that as just an old superstitious way of living. People continue to do that. And the reason is because we live in a world that's greater than us, bigger than us, that we can't fully grasp in our minds. And so we look to higher powers, look to other things. But again, when you look to these things, again, God is, is telling us and warning us that by looking to these things, we do not find safety, we do not find true protection, we don't find life. But rather, these things 
are dead and lifeless. These things themselves, as Genesis 1 tells us, they came not out of, no, out of nothing. They didn't just appear from nowhere, but they came from the very hand of God. It's he who holds the stars in place. It's he who fashioned all the beasts of the field. It's he who uh, plays with Leviathan in the sea as with a little fish in a pond, right? It's God who has fashioned all of these things and he created them, as Genesis reminds us, that we might then look through them to God. We might see God's glory, God's power, God's majesty reflected in the creation around us. But when we begin to worship them, when we begin to to idolize them, when we begin to seek safety in these things and trust in these things, when we actually need help, these things are not able uh, to save or redeem us, right? So, kind of to back up, right, these are the two things that God, the second commandment, and in the second commandment, God is forbidding us to engage in, to create an image and worship it and think that it'll save us, or to look at created things around us and begin to worship and serve them. In the end, those things are merely idols, and idols are, they are very heavy. Idols will crush you. Idols will weigh you down. Idols will cause you to be depressed. Idols will, in a very literal sense, right? it'll compress you. It'll, it'll, it'll be very heavy for you to bear. And so when God commands his people in this way, he's saying, don't be like the peoples around you that are doing these things. Don't be like the people around you. Uh, but instead, I am to be your God. I am to be the one alone that you are devoted to. I am the one you are to trust because I alone am living. I alone uh, can save you. I alone can redeem you. And he's demonstrated that already, right? He brought them out of Egypt, as he reminds them. He rescued them from Pharaoh and and all of the Egyptian army. He brought them safely through the Red Sea. It's he who commands the oceans. It's he who commands all of these things. And therefore, God is taking their minds from being so focused on what they can see and turning them to him who is invisible, the one who's, uh, who has spoken uh, to them. And now you notice, right, those are the two things forbidden, worshiping and serving carved images, worshiping and serving anything in creation, whether in the heavens or the earth or under the sea. And notice the reason that he gives in verse 5. And it's an interesting reason, right? He says, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Your God is a jealous God. And I might say, well, it's kind of interesting, because when we think about not making images, the often are the reasoning that we give is, well, God is spirit, which he is. Read John 4. God is spirit. He does not have a body. And therefore, for us to create an image is, is to disrespect God as spirit. And that's, of course, true. But that's not the reason that's given here for this commandment. Right? It's not that God, God doesn't say to them, I, the Lord your God, have no body. But he says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Gerhardus Voss helps us uh, to understand why his jealousy is pointed out here as the reason for this commandment. He says this, the word jealous here means conjugal zeal, specifically jealousy in the married relation. It implies that when images come into play for the monogamatic relation between the Lord and Israel, a polygamous or even meretricious bond with other religious lords has been substituted. So 
you don't pick up on all those fancy words, that's totally fine. But the point here is when he's focusing on jealousy as a word that belongs within the, the bond of marriage. A wife jealous for her husband, a husband jealous for uh, his wife. And so when the Lord here is giving as the reason that he is jealous, and therefore they are not to make images, he recognizes that images are not merely symbols for God. It's not as if they can merely, through these images, worship God, and through these images have their worship enhanced or their spiritual life enhanced. Rather, he's saying these images are not mere symbols, but they're rivals. They're rivals for the devotion of his people. And eventually these symbols lead uh, to substituting God, them for God all uh, together. And so the reason that, the, that God commands you not to make images and not to worship the things around you, even if you were to think that through these things I'm worshiping God, is because he is a jealous God and those images are not mere symbols, but they are rivals to the devotion of his people. And so these are the reason that God gives uh, for uh, this commandment. The commandment is given, and the context for this commandment is given within that marital bond, which in, often throughout Scripture is simply the, the covenant bond, the covenant being referred to as a marriage. And so this commandment comes to you within the context of God's covenant, that God has acted, God has redeemed, God has saved, and therefore he is calling you to singular devotion to him. And not to make images of anything, whether um, of our own hands, in self-willed worship, or to begin worshiping and serving the creation around us. And he goes on to say one more portion of, this, of our short exposition of this, uh, these verses here. He goes on to explain, he says, visiting, in the end of verse 5, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, we need to recognize that what the um, commandment is not talking about here is a kind of generational curse. Um, you can read in various passages in Ezekiel, reminding the people of God who seem to have even misinterpreted this passage to say that the children are not going to be punished for the sins of their father. But what is um, recognized here is that those children who continue in the sins of their father and merely say, well, this is what I was taught, or this is how I was raised, or this is just simply the way things are in my family, the Lord's saying those who continue in such sin, even the sins of their fathers, um, will have the judgment of God brought upon them. A covenant curse is brought upon them. Notice specifically, again, it says not merely the sons of those who hate the Lord, but it's these very sons, these, uh, those children to the third and fourth generation, as it says at the end of verse 5, who hate me, who hate me. And again, that kind of ties together with the jealousy of God, that hatred of God is one, again, of, of somebody breaking that bond of fellowship, breaking covenant with God, abandoning the Lord like an unfaithful spouse. And so the Lord is, is, is saying that it's not a matter of merely, or it's not a matter of having an excuse. My fathers did this. My, great, my great grandfathers did this. Everybody in my family has done this. He's saying, no, it's, it's a matter not of just of custom or, or tradition, but it's a matter of obeying the Lord. Likewise, those who may have had sinful 
um, parents in the past, and yet turn to love the Lord and keep his commandments are commended, right? But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Again, that hatred and that love is within the bond of marriage. It is the jealousy of God that they are responding to. The one who hates that, that God is, has singled them out and, and sought them. And those who embrace that in great love for the Lord. This is the covenant bond, the marriage bond that God has established with his people. He's established with you and he's established it with you along with those around you here as we are the covenant people of God. So it's a quick, uh, short exposition. If you have further questions on uh, this passage, let me know. But I want to turn now to think about the way the catechism now applies this uh, commandment to us uh, today. So you notice in Lord's Day 35, it, it, it asks this question. What is God's will for us in the second commandment? And it says there that we in no way are to make any image of God, nor worship him in any other way, than has been commanded in God's word. Again, we've been talking about this already in terms of what was forbidden for the people of God. But notice that second clause, right? Nor worship him in any other way than has been commanded in God's word. Often in Reformed circles, this is referred to as the regulative principle of worship. That it's not a matter of us being wise in our own eyes, thinking, okay, how might God be pleased in worship as we gather together? Or even what might be attractive to the world around us. That's often maybe the first question that some churches might ask. And it kind of leads them very far astray in terms of how God is to be worshipped. But the first and foremost is that we are to worship God as he has commanded us to worship him. God has told us how we are to worship him, right? So the second commandment is regulating the worship of God's people. Now there's a number of things that's not regulated. Nobody decided, and God doesn't regulate in his word, that the chairs must be kind of plastic and maybe not the most comfortable and red. God doesn't regulate in his word that a microphone has to be used or there must be light so you must be sitting or I must be standing. Right? There's a number of circumstances that we, in our wisdom, can, can decide upon. But the elements of worship, the, 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 the main parts of worship that we engage in, especially every Sunday, are regulated by God. Right? If we look even at our bulletin, there's many things maybe we would like to do, many things that, I can't even find my bulletin, so it won't help. Oh, there it is. Many things we might like to do, many things we might want to do, things that we might think is fun to do in worship, but again, it's a matter of what God has commanded. That's a very basic thing to Reformed worship. And so as we enter into worship, right, it's God who calls us by his word, and we sing and respond with praises, even as God calls his people often, right, to sing his praises. He calls us to do that, and so we respond by singing. We then pray to God. God welcomes us as he would welcome his people. We sing again to God. He assures us that we, we confess our sins as he calls us to do. We, he gives us his assurance of pardon. We sing again. We pray. We bring offering and tithe before the Lord. We engage in the sacraments. Even in the second service, we'll be engaged, we will be um, administering uh, baptism uh, to two of our children here. We hear the word preached, and we again, we hear and we respond with singing and the benediction. These are all things that God's word commands us to do, which is why we do them, and we don't begin to add in other elements that, again, we might think are fun and could even be useful and fun to do and, and worshipful to do during the week, but not something that God calls us to do 
in, um, in corporate worship. So God's will for us in the second commandment is that we worship him in no other way than as he has commanded us in his word. But then we might ask some questions, and especially during the days that this catechism was written, right, they're dealing with, even as in, even as in our own day, are dealing with uh, the Roman Catholic Church, the Greek Orthodox Churches, right, churches that have many images, symbols of saints and icons and all of these things. And so it was a very important issue for them to zoom in and focus upon. And so these next two questions begin to answer some uh, questions that might arise regarding not making any image. Question 97 says, may we then not make any image at all? And it answers saying, God cannot and may not be visibly portrayed in any way. Although creatures may be portrayed, yet God forbids making or having such images in order to worship them or serve God through them. Remember what Exodus 20 taught us. These images are not mere symbols. Ultimately, they are rivals. And God's jealousy forbids that we make these images and that we think ourselves wiser than God, as the next question is going to uh, mention as well. These images do not ultimately assist us in worshiping God, whether that is uh, the images of the Roman Catholic Church, it is the images of the Greek Orthodox Church, but rather those images infringe upon our marital relationship with the Lord. His jealousy burns against them. And we, therefore, as those who are singularly devoted to God are not to, to seek to worship him through images or making, our, making anything to portray God in any way, right? You might say, well, the intention might be good, the heart might be good, right? They're trying to, uh, to, to better worship God. But again, it's not a matter of what we think is good, but a matter of receiving from God what he is understood as best. Uh, for us, and that is for us not to make images uh, for us. And the third question here may we not, but may not images as books for the unlearned? So that was a common phrase that was used back um, during the days that this catechism was written. Most people weren't literate, and books weren't widely available, but yet you can make an image, you can find a statue of something, and use that to sort of portray. The truth, portray the gospel, portray who God, portray who God is, and um, so it was a common excuse in a sense that was used during that day. Right? These are just books for the unlearned. But may they be permitted in churches? And the answer is simply no. We should not try to be wiser than God, and that's really at the heart of it. Often, right? We think this might be good, this might be useful, this might better things. But it's not for us to be wiser than God, but for us to be humble before the Lord, receive his word, and say, this is how you have commanded me to worship you, and therefore I'm going to engage in worship in this way. He goes on to say, uh, the catechism goes on to say, he wants the Christian community, he wants us to be instructed by the living preaching of his word, not by idols that cannot even talk. And that kind of goes back to uh, something we talked about in the opening, right? The contrast here is between that which is living, God himself who speaks to us and his word comes as a word of life, sharper than any two-edged sword, right? Dividing between the bone and marrow, piercing to our very souls and hearts. Or lifeless idols, images we've made, stone, clay, wood, whatever it might be, or even imagine things in our own minds. He's saying those things are, are lifeless. They don't offer you anything more, and in fact, they detract from the living word, the breathed word, 
The word that comes from God speaking to us, a God who is alive, a God who is ever active, a God who upholds the creation by the word of his power, right? a God who speaks to us week by week and speaks to us in his word as we come before him. He's saying that is to be the place where we um, commune with God, where our worship of God is at its peak. And therefore we are to shun idols and images because they are rivals of God, they invoke his jealousy. And instead, we are to be singularly devoted to the Lord as his people, worshiping at him as he has commanded us to worship him, and humbly submitting ourselves and growing in those things that he has called us to do, right? Growing in these things, understanding why God has given them to us. Maybe a helpful exercise to do this Sunday, just, and if you haven't, you know, walk through the liturgy and ask yourself, why, you know, why do we do the things that we do here? Maybe you'll notice that there's a kind of dialogue that takes place in worship as well, right? God calls us, we respond with singing. God speaks to us, we respond with our offerings, we respond with our praises. Maybe go through that and notice, well, why is God given this to us? It is for my good, I know it is, because God is for me and God loves me and he cares for me. And so maybe reflect upon some of these elements in our own worship. And so, just to come to a conclusion here, right? God is, is jealous uh, for us, his people, in a good way, right? Again, the way a, a husband is jealous for his wife. And God, therefore, does not want us to establish rivals around him. But he wants us to be daily. He wants us to be every Sunday gathering corporately uh, to hear from him. His word is truly living. He truly speaks to us. The preached word is the word of God. And so even as you come to worship and sit under that word, hear it for what it truly is. The very word of God. Your jealous husband who loves you. Who has given his son for you to die for you. Who has restored you and redeemed you and reconciled you to himself. And who has given you great hope that one day you will dwell with him forever and ever. World without end. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank you that in your love for us, you command us. And in uh, your desire that we know you fully, that we worship you with singular devotion, uh, that you've given us this commandment. And so, Father, uh, where um, we have formed images, whether that is uh, in things created or things in our own minds, uh, Father, may we uh, throw such images away and seek uh, to know you and worship you as we meet with you in the living preaching of your word. And so, Father, in these ways, uh, may we grow in our love for you, and may we show forth our gratitude even as we go forth in this new week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.